The aftermath of Fiona in Atlantic Canada. We headed out east to speak to a couple of people in Nova Scotia after the storm slammed into Atlantic Canada, bringing with it peak wind gusts of 177 kilometers an hour. We spoke with one loyal listener who says he was lucky his area didn't get hit too bad. And we checked in with Greg's dad, Ross. He's in Nova Scotia right now on vacation. Heck of a time for a vacation in Atlantic Canada. Thousands of people invaded downtown weekend on Saturday because of Nuit Blanche. And architect and urban commentator Brent Bellamy says we need more stuff like this. And what's the longest lineup that you've ever waited in? Or maybe what's the weirdest thing you ever waited in line for? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, who's on Connecting Winnipeg for the next couple of weeks. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Monday, September 26th podcast for The Start. Mackling and McGarry McNabb is on Connecting Winnipeg again this week and next week. Forte back in the saddle and master control. I see Gabby Marchand back in the saddle on Global News Morning. Clay Young filling in all last week. And um, still recovering, by the way, from our Clayham session on Friday with Clay Young at 9.05. I got a long list of text messages on Friday. You sure Clay can't fill in for Loren when Loren is off? <laughs> oh, gosh. Do you think you guys could handle something like that? Uh, Clay is a, a magician of the airwaves. And, uh, yeah, we got a, a lot of laughs, a lot of entertainment value Friday morning at 9.05. If you want to listen to it, uh, hit the audio vault at cjob.com. Uh, do not be drinking coffee whilst listening. Not entertaining. Is the price of gas. I'm driving down Provence yesterday, went to visit my dad and my sister for a little belated birthday gathering, and I passed the Shell station at um, Provence in Demeron, and I see a price that says 185.9. And I think, are you kidding me? And I was going to do a survey of the various gas stations that line. Nairn Avenue and Regent. I couldn't because they were they were laying some asphalt at uh, Archibald and Provence, so I had to turn right and go up Plinget. Not Plinket. Plinget. Well done, Brett. And then uh, I ended up going up Dougald. And when I got to Dougald and Plessis, or pardon me, uh, Regent and Plessis, I looked to my left. They've got a Petro Canada at the 7-Eleven. That was still $1.64.9. But I turned right or hung... Uh, Randy? Is that what it is? You could go Randy. What's yep. the, what is the official? Yeah, I would go Randy. Okay. I would use Randy as my R for <laughs> okay. sure. Okay. Took a turn right on Regent and passed the Shell Station at Brewster, and that was $1.859. Unbelievable. So it's going up, um, but not everywhere, because we you tried to find evidence of it on your way in and couldn't. No, on Henderson Highway, uh, three open gas stations. Still at 164.9. The co op station doesn't open till six or seven o'clock. Uh, their posted price is 164.9. And we went online, and, and yes, it's being reported. And yes, there's lots of evidence of many, many gas stations who have upped the price, but not everyone, as you mentioned, Brett. So we're looking to find out what's next. Like, is this. Is this a test line? Is this something that that uh, Shell stations and and there are a couple of vessel stations as well on the list yeah. that are maybe just uh, you know wanting to see what will happen, or is this definitely the price we're going to see right across the city at some point today 
or tomorrow. Yeah, because that last report, I'm just looking at winnipeggasprices.com. I prefer this site over GasBuddy. I mean, I think it's actually fueled by GasBuddy, but you can actually, no pun intended there, by the way, on fueled, but you can actually, uh, GasBuddy will only show you the top 10, like the lowest prices. The lowest prices, right. And I think you can do searches on that website, but I, I don't like it. I just go to this Winnipeg Gas Prices, and it lets you filter uh, by area. It lets you filter like each individual company. So right now I'm just looking at Shell stations, and it looks like they're... There are still 10 of them, at least that have been reported, that are still in the $1.649 range. And then there are about 20 of them that have gone up to $1.859. Only two of the ESO stations. And for some reason, 1711 at Talbot and Watt is at $1.899. $1.899? Yeah. So basically up a quarter, 25 cents. Uh, compared to what it was 24 hours ago. So we're hoping to get some some answers on that for you. And um, also in Metro Vancouver, by the way, I think it's up to like 235. Outstanding. Over there, another 14 cent increase. We just got a text message from someone with a Petro Canada showing it at 151.9. Whoa! But uh, no location here. So Rudy, uh, if you could send us a text message and let us know where you're seeing that at 151.9, we can we can certainly start a rush towards uh, that Petro Canada, I'm sure. And uh, speaking of lineups for gas, you sent me a video and we're going to have much more on what's happening out east in the wake of Fiona, but you sent me a stunning drone footage video of a gigantic lineup of vehicles, of automobiles, they found there is a gas. I think the tweet says somehow this gas station has power and gas, and the lineup goes forever. This was posted on Twitter. It's got forty thousand views. Brian Mfinger is the individual who posted this. If you want to see it uh, at Brian E M Finger, uh, you can see this lineup. As you mentioned, incredible drone footage, hundreds if not thousands of vehicles in lines, individuals uh, with jerry cans looking to fill up, maybe to get generators going or to maybe just to get a little bit of gas in their vehicles so they can get in the line with their vehicle. Uh, It's an incredible site, site in Sydney, Nova Scotia. My dad is actually in North Sydney, Nova Scotia, and he called me as I was watching this video and I said, well, I was just thinking about you. And wondering how you're doing for fuel. And then, of course, he asked why. Well, I've convinced my dad to come on the air to talk about his experience overnight, Friday into Saturday morning, what's going on there from his point of view, including the fact some of the longest lines are maybe for gasoline, but the next longest line is for Tim Hortons. (laughs) Of course, only in Canada. Um, So that's great that you convinced your dad to join us coming up at 6.35. So we'll hear from Greg's dad, Ross, at 6.35. And I did just want to quickly ask you as well, you had an incredibly busy day on Saturday, which I believe began at Bell MTS Iceplex. Yes, uh, bright and early, got the boys up and out of bed, met my brother and my niece and all sorts of folks. Everyone that said hi, I say goodbye, say goodbye. I say hello to uh, this morning. It was great to get out in the the public realm one more time. And the Jets put on a great show show. Uh, They had all sorts of activities for the little kids. The weather, I don't know what it is about that day, but I think of the nine or ten times they've done this, Brett, the weather has been lousy, probably Mm. eight 
times, maybe one or two really nice days that I can remember, but they did a great job of moving a bunch of stuff indoors. I uh, got to see the first period of the scrimmage, and it was just great to see the Jets back on the ice again. What time did you get there? Got there just after 9 o'clock, about 9.20. Was it raining at that point? Uh, Off and on. Oh, okay. Off and on, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I had a, because I played golf at Maplewood in St. Pierre Jolie, but we didn't tee off until 1.30. And when we got there, it was cloudy, but it wasn't, you know, it was kind of cool, but not, not bad. It was actually a really like there was no wind. No wind. That and, was a big difference. Yeah. And then uh, I want to say with the within the in the last hour, the sun came out and it almost it, it was like the temperature went up five degrees. It was like two days on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. I I went outside. Uh, I had had to go home for a quick nap <laughs> at, <laughs> at some point on Saturday. Went outside and I go. Man, really, for the sake of a couple of hours here, they could have had uh, all this sunshine and and warm temperatures. But, uh, hey, what are you going to do? Storm Fiona hammered Atlantic Canada, causing widespread power outages, washing out roads, and downing trees. Yep, in Portobosk, the town on Newfoundland and Labrador's southwest tip that felt the brunt of Fiona's fury, rescue crews found the body of a woman who was swept from her home. Global's Ross Lord reports. A state of emergency is still in effect here after the storm surge from Fiona tore 20 or more of these houses right off their foundation and either dragged them into the sea or damaged them beyond repair. The search for a 73-year-old woman has now become a recovery operation. She was taking shelter in her basement when a giant wave smashed into her home. The ground floor of the home is still teetering but most of that basement is just gone. It's really heartbreaking. And certainly, you know, the community has this uh, overwhelming sense of stress and anxiety. In a small place such as port basque many of the residents would know who this lady is, have relationships with her, friendships, or be family members. And this is just completely devastating to have something like this happen. It's a scene that's repeated all along the seaside in port basque Homes battered by the waves, reduced to piles of rubble. This was the worst, Phil, for the wind and the waves to get her, yeah. Mostly we get the wind or we get the wave. When Fiona hit here as a post-tropical storm, it was packing wind gusts of more than 130 kilometers an hour. The waves slammed into buildings that are normally 10 meters or more above the high tide line. Some 200 residents lost their homes and all of their belongings. Some of those people now picking through the debris, looking for anything that can be salvaged. Here on the ground, there's still a sense of shock as emergency crews and other community leaders try to get a sense of the devastation, the scale of the cleanup that's still to come. Fair to say already, though, that Fiona and his landfall have changed this close-knit town forever. The visuals, the pictures, the... The emotion in that report, and if you see it at globalnews.ca, you can certainly do that. And I know many of you have seen the uh, pictures on television. It's overwhelming. It's it's emotional and uh, just uh, horrible to imagine that uh, one woman lost her life uh, that way, Brent. Nearly half a million customers without power in Atlanta, Canada over the weekend. The top wind gust recorded in Wreck House, Newfoundland, 177 kilometers an hour. Uh, some places in Nova Scotia got nearly 200 millimeters of rain. So um, we knew it was going to be bad, but uh, this is bad.
And before we say hello to a very important guest, we do have some greetings to extend because today marks the beginning of the Jewish High Holy Days to those celebrating a hearty Shana Tova. Yeah, the first full day of Rosh Hashanah, which ends tomorrow evening. So, Happy New Year to everyone observing that holiday. Uh, last night it began, I believe, at 8 o'clock, and that'll go through until tomorrow evening. Now, the aftermath of Hurricane Fiona means tens of thousands of Canadians are without power and looking for gasoline and other essentials as Monday morning dawns on Atlantic Canada. According to the NS Power website, almost 200,000 of their customers remain without power in Nova Scotia. And, of course, across the Cabot Strait from Cape Breton Island is Porto Basque, Newfoundland, where RCMP confirmed the body of a 73-year-old woman uh, from that part of Newfoundland, Labrador, was found shortly before 4 p.m. yesterday. The woman was reported missing on Saturday morning after her home was damaged by Hurricane Fiona. During a press conference yesterday, Bill Blair, Canada's Minister of Emergency Preparedness, said the tragedy is a reminder of, quote, how truly dangerous that storm has been. For those who live in this part of Canada, hurricanes are a part of life, like blizzards on the prairies. Ross Mackling. Yes, Greg's dad is in North Sydney, Nova Scotia, where he waited out this weekend's powerful storm. We say good morning, Ross. Good morning, guys. Hey, thanks for joining us this morning. We appreciate it. And I guess we'll start with where were you? Where were you and what was it like being at the center of Fiona? Well, we, we're we in North Sydney, of course, uh, waiting for our ferry to Newfoundland to uh, to be rescheduled. And we did get some uh, some good news this morning that it has been rescheduled. So we'll, we will be going to Newfoundland today. Uh, but North Sydney is the uh, the port that, all of the ferry traffic to Newfoundland comes in, into and out of, and that's where we were right across the uh, the road, basically from the ferry terminal, in a B and B that uh, is in a 160 year old house, and the house was rocking and rolling on Friday night during the the peak of the storm here, and uh, it was uh, somewhat somewhat scary to be part of that. Uh, but that's that's where we were was right in the middle of it here. Why did you decide, Dad? Why did you decide to to stick around in Nova Scotia? There was a an option to maybe head back to New Brunswick. What made you decide that this was the place to wait it out? Well, it looked when we looked at the map and and the course of the hurricane and and all the affected areas that are potentially affected areas. Uh, it didn't look like there was really a a safe place that we could guarantee would be away from the storm. And our goal has always been to get to Newfoundland on this trip. And despite the the crossing initially being canceled on Friday night, of course, because that was the, the peak of the storm, we we felt that in order to to fulfill our, our goal of getting to Newfoundland, staying here was the way to go. Now, Ross, uh, we heard half a million customers in Atlantic Canada without power over the weekend. You, we just heard moments ago, 200,000 customers alone in Nova Scotia. What's the power situation been like for you? Well, we're, we're still on that, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, on that list of those without power at the B&B here. And in fact, uh, I think I can say that the whole town of North Sydney is without power still. There are some... Uh, 
places like the port uh, terminal for the for the uh, cruise or the the ferries that have their own power sources, I guess. But there is really nothing available power-wise in in North Sydney. Uh, that differs a little bit from Sydney, which is Sydney, Nova Scotia, which is about 15 minutes away, that has some spotty power there. Uh, but we're still basically in the dark here. So, Dad, I mentioned when you called me, you called me about an hour ago, and I was coincidentally looking at a video, some drone footage that had been shared on Twitter, taking a look at the extended lineups for gasoline as at least one gas station managed to, to get open and people were lining up for gasoline. And in the comment section... Someone pointed out, yeah, well, maybe just as long a lineup as the one for Tim Hortons. I think you have some insight on that as well. Well, we certainly saw a couple of those lines for Tim Hortons. This was not in North Sydney, of course, but in Sydney. And uh, they're absolutely, if there was traffic on the road, that's where that traffic was going, possibly for gas, but absolutely to Tim Hortons. Uh, I would guesstimate from from looking at one one store, they had a hundred vehicles in line, and they also had uh, people come uh, pedestrian traffic going into the building uh, that was uh, coming out the doors as well. So uh, definitely, that was the priority for everybody that we could see yesterday was getting a, a cup of Timmy's, and uh, that was a bit of our priority when we got here on uh on friday was to find a, a cup of coffee and we had to go to sydney to get uh, a, a cup of coffee there was nothing here available so it's it's been a challenge but uh mainly it's been internet problems for us we like to keep in touch by uh with wi-fi and of course we don't have wi-fi and uh, i think my um cellular provider is going to be very happy with all the money he can charge me for <laughs> cellular data, uh, which, of course, I, I'll have a, <laughs> a discussion about. But, uh, no, that's been our, our really living without power is something that uh, lots of people have had to do over, you know, over the years with storms. But it, you really feel it when we're so connected otherwise. And, and that's uh, been our, our biggest biggest negative i guess is just not having access to uh to power and wi-fi and all that before we let you go dad uh, really quickly here you mentioned when we were chatting an hour ago just the idea that this is not dissimilar to what we experience with with many winter storms and just the whole well we just got to get back at it and and take this in stride attitude you're seeing in the last uh, day and a half yeah i i was really surprised more on the on the side of the preparation uh, when we arrived at our B&B I, I inquired of our host uh, what kinds of preparation have you been doing for the storm and she said well I took my hanging plants down and that was the uh, sum total of what she had to do is she, in her mind and turned out to be pretty much uh, the case we saw nobody boarding up windows which is something you see in the movies or in, on TV uh, nobody was doing that, and uh, that was kind of a shock to see that. But everybody now is uh, just doing what they need to do to get cleaned up. 
Well, Ross, thank you very much for joining us. We're glad you're okay, and hopefully uh, you can still enjoy what it, what remains of your journey out east. Ross Mackling joining us live, father of Greg. Ross, thanks for joining us. A pleasure, sir. You're very welcome. Thanks, guys. We just spoke with Greg's dad, Ross. He's in Nova Scotia. And we were talking about lineups, and Greg referenced this incredible drone video he found on Twitter of a lineup that seems to go forever to get gas, but there's also a long lineup in that parking lot to get into Tim Hortons. So inspired by those lineups, for a chance to win yourself some tickets for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers versus the Saskatchewan Rough Riders this Friday at IG Field, Let's talk about lineups. Waiting in line. And you can take it wherever you want. Longest you've ever waited in line. A lineup that shouldn't have taken long to move, but did for whatever reason. Slow worker, slow customers. I don't know. Uh, like, for example, now that we have to wait outside for to get into a liquor mart, for example. If the person inside doesn't have adequate ID or perhaps the, the worker's sense that this person is already intoxicated, you might be standing outside an extra five minutes while you wait for them to deal with that situation. Good and point. in July, not so bad, but in February, not so fun. Um, weirdest lineup, like waiting in line to get to the grocery store. That's still something I hope never happens again. Um, lineup chaos. No one's standing in the right spot. Where does the line start? Hey, I'm in line. You're not in line. Get over here. Lineup's back here, buddy. 204-780-6868. Or maybe the dumbest thing you ever waited in line for. Uh, and yet, you know, yet you'd feel no shame about it. <laughs> dumbest thing. Well, let's go around the horn here. Should we go with the newbie first? Ross Levitan in for Cameron Poitras today and tomorrow. Hello there, Ross. Hello, fellas. I mean, it's similar to what you were saying there, Brett, with the lineups for grocery stores. But the, with the way airports have been, it's already not fun waiting in security. You've got all your carry-on and... That's just been so exacerbated. So I've been in a couple of long security lines at the airport. So those are never good. Yeah. Yeah. When you get in the line for customs or whatever and you think, I got to make a connection in 45 minutes and there are like 400 people here. What am I? <laughs> just the anxiety. Just thinking about it stresses me out. Yeah. Jeff Braun, what about you? The longest line I was ever in was at Universal Studios in uh, Hollywood, California, and it was for the Back to the Future ride, which sadly is no longer there because it ended up being the most fun ride I've ever been on. And the lineup seemed not too bad at first. There was a long snaking line outside the building for the ride, and it took about an hour to get through it. And then you got to the door, and it's like, all right, here we go. But then you open the door, and you went inside, and there's another room, just a big giant room like a warehouse, and, that would, and the line continued for another hour inside the, that room. And you got to the end of that, and you went down some stairs, and there was just another exact same scenario, one floor beneath. <laughs> but by this time, you've waited in line for two hours. There's no real way to get out of there except probably an emergency exit for a fire or something like that. So we waited one more hour. At this point, my dad is just like, okay, this is the worst vacation I've ever been on. <laughs> but Finally, we got to the end of it, so it was a three-hour wait to go on what was probably like an eight-minute ride, and uh, uh, I enjoyed it. My dad, not so much. My little sister, also not so much, but for me, it was worth it. I remember waiting in line at Cedar Point in Sandusky, Ohio, to ride the Top Thrill Dragster, which is one of the tallest and fastest roller coasters on the planet. It's like 425 feet tall, and uh, we waited, I think, almost an hour, and then they called it off because it was raining. Just very lightly, but it was enough to make it unsafe. 
So then when we got the green light, we were, my uncle Dan and I ran back to the line and we waited another two hours because we wanted the front seat. So we waited almost three hours for a ride that took 15 seconds. Was it worth it? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It I really was it the top thrill of my life. I can't believe the speed. And, yeah, it was crazy. What about you, Mackling? I guess the longest line I ever waited was 12 hours. I waited 12 hours oh. in line to get Van Halen tickets in, in Calgary. Back in, I guess it would have been the summer of 1991. They played the Saddle Dome November 11th, 1991. Alice in Chains. Nobody had heard of them open for Van Halen at that time. And uh, yeah, it was just uh, a party at the Saddle Dome and then started hearing whispers of, you know, you can get tickets at drugstores and these different locations, Sport Check. They have, they had, I don't even know if it was Ticketmaster or something else way back then. So I decided to get out of that lineup and ended up pretty close to the front at a sport check in Southwest Calgary. Had a great, great time and then ended up seeing a bunch of the same people at the concert a few months later. So it was well worth the time. So you waited in line 12 hours and then you went, you left that line and went I and got left, a- I left the Saddle Dome line about two hours in. Oh, okay. When people started talking about the fact, you know, there's other places where we could be waiting for these tickets. Okay. And I, I, I'm just thinking that maybe it was just sort of a new thing at that point in time. Big, big concert. People wanted to see it. People uh, thought the only place you could get tickets was at Saddle Dome. We found out otherwise, so it was great. And you waited there 10 hours? Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> Dedication. Good. Worth every minute, man. The concert was fantastic. We are asking you about waiting in line for a chance to win yourself some tickets for the Bombers, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers versus the Saskatchewan Rough Riders this Friday, IG Field. What does Chris have to say, Greg? My friend and I waited in line for sticks tickets at Eaton's downtown Winnipeg from 9 p.m. until 9 a.m. the next morning in the 1980s. We gave our money to some stranger and thought, this guy could take our money and run. But he came back with the tickets, best concert ever wow that's good that's good and yeah i think those uh those waiting in line for hours just it makes you appreciate it more right once you get in you enjoy it that much more i think there's something to that for sure you earned it you did earn it there you go so keep telling us your waiting in line stories for a chance to win bomber tickets we'll pick a winner at 9 15 now one of the things we've been discussing this morning is the price of gas because you know we it's been 164.9 for a little while and we've been anticipating more price drops um but i'm driving down provence yesterday i'm heading Towards, I'm heading east to visit my father and my sister uh, for a little belated birthday gathering. And I noticed the Shell station at Provence and Demiron is at $1.859. And I think, well, that's just great. And um, I ended up having to go up Dougald, so I couldn't see what was happening on Nairn Avenue or Regent. But when I did get to Regent and Plessis, I looked to my left because I had come off Dougald, so I'm now heading northbound on Plessis. I look to my left and I see the Petro Canada at the 7-Eleven there. They're still $1.64.9, but when I turn right to see what's happening at the Shell at Regent and Brewster, that one was $1.859. So prices are on the way up at some stations, mostly Shell stations, a couple of SOs, and the 7-Eleven at Talbot and Watt apparently is $1.89. Wow, wow. So Jeff said good morning. I noticed that the gas at many Shell stations was at 
$1.85 even as early as last Wednesday, Whoa. which ties into what we're about to tell you here. If you go to winnipeggasprices.com, you mentioned you can clearly see that, that well over uh, 20 stations, uh, Shell stations, have raised their price to $1.859. That's an increase of about 20 cents a litre or about 95 cents a gallon. Listener Tim texted to alert us to this situation in Ohio, and this is from Bloomberg from last week. Thursday, in fact, it said in part, a refinery fire in Ohio caused gasoline prices in neighboring Indiana to post the largest overnight increase of any state, with Ohio itself and Michigan poised to follow. Average prices at the retail pump jumped nearly six cents a gallon in the Hoosier state home to a major fuel hub supplying the upper Midwest, according to data from Auto Club AAA. The rise followed higher wholesale and rack prices, which surged by as much as 40 cents a gallon in some areas of Indiana, according to price reporting agency Opsis. Spiking wholesale costs in nearby Ohio means retailers there will likely raise prices in the coming days, and Michigan may see an acceleration of retail gains already underway. Now, a fire at BP PLC's Toledo refinery in Ohio killed two workers. So the plant is now shut. The increases at the pump are a further burden to consumers and contribute to a rise in the national average that snapped a 98-day slide earlier in the week. Retail prices typically fall at this time of year after the peak summer driving season and as most of the country switches to cheaper winter-grade fuels. The counter-seasonal price increase is the kind of inflationary force the Federal Reserve aims to tame with its latest interest rate hike. So once again, that's from Bloomberg in the United States, maybe explaining why we are seeing what we're seeing, Brett. And we got this text from Ken earlier this morning, told by a co-op attendant yesterday, when head often office opens today, look for a price increase. Ken said he filled up for 164.9 yesterday. So that's in Manitoba, but uh, in out west, drivers in Metro Vancouver are also experiencing sticker shock at the pumps again, as the price of gas jumped another 14 cents per liter overnight Saturday into Sunday. As Global's Grace Key reports, the almost 40 cent per liter price hike in about a week appears to be the tipping point for some. Gas prices climbed again over the weekend, this time as much as 14 cents overnight to as high as $2.34 a litre. And drivers aren't liking what they're seeing at the pumps. Yeah, when you're trying to enjoy life, there is, it doesn't help that you have to pay astronomical prices either. So, yeah, um, not happy. And uh, I don't really think that anything's really going to change. A tight supply along the U.S. West Coast, coupled with maintenance at the Phillips 66 Ferndale Washington State Refinery, is contributing to the increase in price. The issue is how long, and that is likely to end, uh, or at least come down uh, you know, substantially, I would say, once the uh, Phillips 66 refinery is back up and running. So we could see prices move back to about $2 a litre. I don't see it going much lower than that right now. To offset the high fuel prices, some drivers are changing their habits. BCAA's car sharing program Evo is seeing an increase in usage, signups and length of trips. It feels so good just to know that I'm saving so much money on gas. Like I see it's like 214, like it's insane how expensive it is these days. Like, and the thing is like, you're not even going that far with the Evo and it's like you get to, you know, drive to locations super fast and you don't have to worry about walking uphill or anything. And then you look at the gas price and it makes you feel so good. <laughs> 
what the members are telling us recently is that gas prices are playing a factor in the number of trips they take. We've had some tell us they've actually chosen to sell their vehicle and that gas was uh, a contributing factor. If you're still relying on your gas car to get around, you may want to consider the day and time you refuel. Evenings, especially after 6 p.m. and of course weekends, usually in the evenings is even better. You can save as much as four to eight cents a liter. But even on this weekend, it's still painful at the pump. Just shy of 28 liters for 60 bucks. So there you go. Good thing. Uh, Good thing I didn't have to travel far. Grace Key, Global News. If I didn't golf, I think I'd get rid of my car. Because it's in the winter, I almost never use it. And in the summer, uh, outside of golf, I mean, I always just stick within the city. It's just that I like to go, I like to tour southern Manitoba, and I absolutely need it in the summer. Yeah, fair enough, Brett. Uh, it's funny when you listen to that advice about when to buy gas on the lower mainland. My grandmother used to live across the street from a gas station in White Rock. That was, I think, one of her pastimes was to watch the gas price go up and down <laughs> because it would do it several times a day. We just don't really seem to see that in Winnipeg. It's sort of the price sort of locked in for an extended period of time. We don't see those interday or interday fluctuations like they do in some parts of Canada. And speaking of locking in on Friday, Global News started a new series called Landlocked, exploring Canada's energy dilemma. There is uh, there was an hour-long special that aired on Friday, and you can watch it at globalnews.ca. If you just Google Global News Landlocked, you'll find it. We have tickets to give away to see the Bombers on Friday versus the Riders at IG Field. We're asking you about the lineups that you've waited in line for. What have you waited in line for? How long did you wait in line? What was the dumbest thing you've ever stood in line for? We had a couple of people saying, oh, waiting in line for the bar, scandals, or the pal, the good good Thursday lineups. Five o'clock, says Paula. I believe it was Paula at the Palomino Club back in the day. And uh, I can confirm that I would uh, show up super early on those days as well to try to get in. But uh, what have we got here, Mackling? Mark says, just like Greg's Van Halen story, I waited overnight with some friends at Eaton's downtown to buy tickets for a Super Tramp concert. I remember playing Frisbee on Hargrave at 3 o'clock in the morning when the doors opened at 9 a.m. There was a mad dash to line up at Ticketmaster, which was on the 5th floor. Hundreds of people rushing, pushing, shoving up the escalators only to line up again and wait to purchase said tickets. Those were the days, says Mark. And one of our listeners says it might be the only fair way to do it. Go back to that. Yeah. Having to line up as opposed to, you know, all these bots and these uh, mass mass purchasers getting through online. But I think back in that day, you could call as well, maybe, and phone for tickets. Yeah. If, if, if you had a charge card. Well, and I remember they eventually went to the wristband system where you sure. first had to line up to get the wristband. And yep. then several days later, you lined up with your wristbands in the order that you your, your wristbands showed to get your concert tickets. So, yeah, it was a process. It wasn't just as, as simple as sit down at your computer on your phone and go, doo, 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 tickets oh, I'm purchased. In. I'm going. Yeah. Yay. Although not to suggest that it's not also a pain to do it online. But, uh, yeah, things, those were the days. Remember back in my day, you see, when you had to stand in line for tickets? You guys have it. You kids have it so easy, you know? <laughs> uh, my, my dad bought me a Friends-related birthday card that said, Oh, my God. And when I opened it, it just simply said, You're old. All right. That's, that's Welcome ac- to the club, Brett. Accurate.
But now we want to return our attention to Fiona over the weekend and what happened in Atlantic Canada. And it turns out we have a number of listeners who are either out east or have spent time out east this weekend. We spoke to Greg's dad, Ross, at 635. But one of our regular listeners um, texts us quite quite frequently, uh, and he is in lives in Nova Scotia. That's right. Wade Fisher joins us now from Nova Scotia. Wade, good morning. Morning, boys. Great to uh, talk to you this morning. I'm glad that everything's okay where you are. But before we get into this here, um, what's the story here? You've got a 204 area code phone number, but you're Nova Scotia. Just can't leave uh, Winnipeg behind. Hey, buddy? Go blue. <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate you, you texting in and being a part of our show. So where in Nova Scotia are you? Can you uh, do the small town salute thing and, and give us a little bit of a geography lesson? Yeah, we live in uh, Chester, Nova Scotia. It's a sailing community and I guess summer homes and stuff like that, but it's on the south part of Nova Scotia. So that's where I live. (laughs) And just to follow up on the question, Wade, you've got this 204 area code phone number, so you clearly have Manitoba roots. How long have you been in Nova Scotia? What brought you out there? Um, I grew up down here, uh, and then I went out there with the military when I was, I don't know, 17 or whatever and then spent 30 years out there and when it was time to come home i came back home and i met my wife out in manitoba and she's a good ukrainian girl and she loves nova scotia and wanted to move here so it was a win-win so what did you have to do to get ready for the storm wade walk us through the preparations um the typical stuff make sure all the jerry cans are full the generators are working chainsaws are working um make sure you have enough food in the house and a lot of people don't know there's a lot of well systems down here so a lot of people their wells will run dry and it was a super hot summer so a lot of the wells in our area had no water in them so just making sure you had water was a big thing and what was the fallout for you in uh, your area we had uh, some pretty big trees fall down, about a half a dozen of them. And then with the power surge going through, we had a small electrical fire, which knocked out our furnace and everything. So we don't have any heat as of right now, but we're lucky that it's still pretty nice out, so we don't really need it. And our power was out for, I don't know, almost a day, I guess, but then it came back on. So my dad made the correlation, I think many of us will do this on the prairies, between uh, winter storms that we know are approaching here in Manitoba and getting prepared for those and and hurricanes. Is that a fair comparison, Wade? Yeah, it is. Uh, the big problem I find down here is, like when the power goes, like when you lose your power and the tree falls down, it knocks off the stack to your house. So even if hydro gets the power going, is to get the electrician back to your property to hook up the electrical lines. Um, like so, our we had an electrical fire because of the storm, and so now trying to get an electrician to the house so that he can fix those issues seemed to be the problem. Where in Manitoba there was you know a dime a dozen, there was so many electricians you could just you know call up anybody. Well, down here it doesn't seem to be as many of those. Trips. So we, I'm just looking at the map, and I see Chester is not too far from the ocean. So do you feel some like, like it doesn't sound like it was too bad 
for you mean all the, you know, six trees, several trees going down, that's not great. But uh, you say that it could have been worse. So do you feel fortunate that when you see what I happened elsewhere? Yeah, I do. Like my brother lives in Halifax and we have family in Pugwash and Cape Breton and all across Nova Scotia going that way. And like my brother had a tree fall down on his house. Um, my cousins over in Pugwash had water get into their house. Friends in Truro had their roofs damaged and water get into their house to our friends in Cape Breton who had trees fall on their roofs. So in comparison, we were pretty lucky. This is, uh, we were speaking to my dad in an, uh, about an hour, just over an hour ago, Wade, and, and it's sort of a, a dream vacation for him to head to this part of the world. And of course, when they left Winnipeg to come and see the beautiful fall foliage, had no idea that this storm would, would, would hit this part of Canada. Tell us, traditionally, this is this is sort of high tourist season, isn't it? It is, uh, and it's also high hurricane season. So the first summer we moved here was Dorian, and in comparison for us in this part of Nova Scotia, it was way worse. Um, but typically this time of year is like hurricane season, so people start pulling their sailboats and stuff like that in preparation for the hurricanes. So it is a great time to see Nova Scotia because there's so many trees, and, you know, change of colors and all that. But it's also unpredictable weather with the hurricanes. We also know that parts of Atlantic Canada just get pummeled by snow in the winter. Wade, what's the situation for you in Chester, Nova Scotia? No. Uh, to be honest, since I came back home, I haven't even brought out my winter jacket. Wow. And I don't even, I don't even think I've used the shovel since I've been here. I've been using my leaf blower. Um, I think I've teased you guys over the years and sent you pictures in January where the grass is still pretty green here. So... In comparison, it is nothing like Manitoba for okay. winters. All right. So parts of Atlantic Canada, but you're safe. You've got the uh, the Chester uh, Snow Storm Shield Mackling in Nova Scotia. He's got the Storm Shield around him. Well, he must have taken it with him from Winnipeg. Uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> I was lucky, very lucky. All right, Wade, thanks for uh, continuing to be a part of our day. It's an honor to be part of yours and uh, the fact that you you still tune in and, of course, cheer loud and proud for the Blue Bombers. That uh, makes you a brother, uh, if for no other reason. We appreciate it, man. Don't worry. Stay safe, guys. We're asking you about your stories of lining up. And the mighty Thor in Manitou weighing in. I remember standing in line for four hours at the old Winnipeg Arena for tickets to a playoff series between the Birmingham Bulls and the Winnipeg Jets version 1.0 WHA. I think it was 1978, back in the Hull Hedberg Nelson days. A game with the Birmingham Bills, Bulls, Brett, at that time was not so much a hockey game as it was a WWE match. <laughs> I think in a game earlier that year, one of the angrier Bulls, maybe Frankie Beaton or Steve Durbano, or Bad News Billado, goaded Bobby Hull into a wrestling match and eventually pulled off Hull's sewn-on hairpiece. Well, according to, and then just a sidetrack here, according to the Winnipeg Tribune's Jack Matheson at the time, it was in fact Dave Hansen, one of the Hansen brothers from Slapshot Fane, who did the deed that night. So, getting back to Thor's story, 
He says we wondered if the official officials would call a hair-pulling offense for artificial hair. In fact, they did and tossed the offending bull out of the game. Bobby Hall went into the dressing room, found a helmet that fit him, came out and scored two more goals. I had often used this as a lesson for kids in sports about the best way to get revenge on a frustrating opponent. Find a way to play harder and score more. There it is. Just got to score more goals. And don't lose your head or your hair. <laughs> so that's a great one, Thor. Thank you for that. And uh, just sifting through our text line here, um, we've got, uh, oh, hang on. I had one and it just disappeared. Uh, we read that one on the wristband policy. Jen says back when Oktoberfest would happen at the convention center in the mid-1990s, we all know that the ladies' washroom line was always seven miles long. As we were standing in line, at least 60 women. There was one individual who lamented over and over that she was going to relieve herself if she did not get into the bathroom ASAP. After a very long moment of silence from her, she uttered the words, uh-oh. And, um, well, let's just say it didn't go very well for her. And uh, But she didn't have to stay in line any longer, says Jen. So <laughs> Those lineups were crazy. There were not nearly enough washrooms at the convention center with five, six thousand people guzzling beer in record time. No, and it was, and I always felt bad because the 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 lineup for the men's room always moved so much quicker. And I remember there was one time where where I had to go to the washroom and I just grabbed a a stall, and suddenly as I'm, you know, in there, um, uh, the voice of a young woman followed by. Pounding on the stall door. Hey, hurry up in there. And I'm like, where am I? What are you doing? Get out of here. I'm just trying to, I, I can't finish with you. You just give me stage fright now. Like, come on. <laughs> ah, but good times at Oktoberfest, indeed. So, yeah, that was a little jarring. But, uh, yeah, those lineups were legendary and not in a great way. If you spend any time in downtown Winnipeg Saturday night, you could tell something special was taking place. Yeah, Brett, on Friday, you got a sneak peek of what was going to go down on Saturday, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, of course, I went to the pub on Friday, and after I left, they there were a bunch of those, you know, those wacky inflatable things with the, the wavy arms and whatnot. Come buy a car for me. That's I'm right. Family, family Guy has a great sketch on those, but... Uh, yeah, they were set up in Old Market Square, in the, right in front of the cube. I don't know, there are at least a dozen of them fl- flailing around. And I just stood there and thought, well, isn't this fun? Well, when I left the gathering I was at downtown about 7.45 Saturday evening, my immediate thought took me back to the Us Festival in 1983 and David Lee Ross observation. Look at all the people here tonight! Dave had a little bit more to drink than I had. Uh, I also had me th- thinking uh, that people will congregate en masse downtown when given the excuse or reason. Architect and creative director at number 10 architectural group Brent Bellamy shared visual evidence all over his Twitter timeline, joins us now. And, and Brent, how would you describe what was happening on Saturday? Yeah, I think David Lee Ross said it perfectly. It was unbelievable to see that the downtown filled with life, filled with people. It was, uh, you know, it didn't feel like Winnipeg. 
to be honest. And I, I was blown away, as I am every year when Louis Blanche happens. It kind of puts you in the mind of, you know, thinking about the potential of what the city could be when you see that. What area was covered by Nuit Blanche? Uh, Brent, was it just downtown, or did it was it like the forks through the exchange into downtown? The main center of it was at Old Market Square, and uh, there was some at the forks as well, and a couple of sort of satellite installations. There was one on Sherbrooke and one on Provencher Boulevard, but the center of it was really at uh, Old Market Square in downtown. So, Brent, you know, is it practical to suggest, as I'm sure many people were imagining or or discussing, something like this taking place every weekend during the summer? Is is that realistic? You know, I don't, obviously something at that scale isn't, but I think programming our downtown spaces is something that, you know, a lesson that can be learned. Truner Square, Old Market Square, I mean, they do do that kind of thing, but to have a critical mass where, where people are coming downtown every weekend to experience some kind of outdoor concert or, you know, event, you know, third and bird, those kinds of things, I think is something that, you know, the downtown business have been trying to do. And hopefully it does catch uh, a little bit of fire after seeing the potential of downtown at uh, Nuit Blanche. Well, and I seem to recall, uh, you know, a few years back, pretty sure it was for Nuit Blanche, and there were things that were happening further down Main Street, even north of Higgins, and seeing the dozens, if not hundreds, of people walking that stretch of North Main was uh, A, an eye-opener, and B, it was yeah. really good to see people walking en masse and, and feeling safe in areas where they might not otherwise normally feel safe. That was almost the weirdest part, was seeing people far away from the installations and just having seeing like yeah a few hundred people walking down main street it just felt weird because it's like you don't expect that to happen on a on a saturday night in winnipeg and your point about safety is really a a critical one for me and that was the takeaway that i had was you know we often hear how unsafe downtown is and i would never go downtown because it's not safe but when you have people there that perception of safety completely improves and you really feel like there's a strength in numbers and Nobody at Nuit Blanche felt unsafe. And it's, it has, the downtown has the same challenges as it, does, as it will have tonight. But because you're surrounded by other people, you feel safe. And, and I really do feel that is the, the future for downtown. If we can get more people down there, that we will begin to feel safer. And the sort of, uh, you know, the, the barrier that keeps people from going downtown because of safety is it will start to fade away. And you look at Vancouver. They have the same challenges we do downtown. But there's just so many other people there that you don't feel that way. I and mean, you feel like you're connected to other people and you don't have that, that you know, nagging feeling behind in your, the back of your mind that, you know, you're not safe being here. There were art installations, so things to look at. There were performances, so things to watch. But there were also interactive things to do. And I'm thinking particularly about the disco roller skating rink that they set up in a parking lot. And I'm imagining, like, you know, I'm a roller skating guy. I haven't been for years and years, but... I can remember Stanley Park. They used to have a roller disco in the middle of the day back in the 80s and the early 90s, and you could just strap on your roller skates, and they had the music there and a DJ, and it was terrific. Like, what's preventing that from happening several times a year, Brent? Like, how do we create these people-centric spaces? That was so amazing that when they transformed a parking lot, it was the best use of a downtown parking lot I've ever seen was turned it into a roller rink and they were playing disco music and had a big disc, two disco balls. And it was incredible. People with their light up uh, wheels on their roller skates. It was incredible. I agree. Like it, it needs to be, you know, I think 
it comes from uh, the biz, really, the, the Exchange District biz and the downtown biz programming those spaces. And, you know, other arts groups really focusing on downtown to bring people back and, and doing really creative things like that. And I, I know they are, but, you know, I think we can take it to the next level if we really concentrate on on events like that that will bring people to the downtown because we can, we've can we seen now that, you know, people will make their way. You hear all this, you know, downtown needs to have free parking and I can't park and all that. But we've launched proved that if you do something that will attract people, they'll find their way there. I don't know how there had to be 50,000 people downtown and they all found their way there and there wasn't free parking. So, you know, that if there's something worth going to, people will make their way there. Brent Bellamy, architect and creative director at Number 10 Architectural Group, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Brent, always a pleasure. Thanks for your insight. We appreciate it, sir. Have a great day. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I, I saw some of the pictures and some of the video, some of the artwork, and just mesmerizing stuff. And I'm, I'm kicking myself because I had planned to go out Saturday night. I was actually supposed to join you, Greg, yes. at a surprise party for our very own Jim Toth. And uh, my plans kind of went awry during the day, so I got home later than I expected, and I just thought, I'm just, I can't, I'm, I'm tired. But my plan was, once I was done that, I was going to take a quick sort of spin through downtown in the exchange, and instead I ended up ordering a pizza and fell asleep on my couch. So well, I, I missed all of it. Well, I only, you know, happenstantially came across what was going on, because the first event of my night was right downtown, in the heart of downtown, we came out, Jackie and I looked at each other, where are all these people? Oh, yeah, it's Nuit Blanche. And inevitably I have plans on, on the night of Nuit Blanche. I'm going to have to kind of block it out for next year already. Yeah, circle it on the calendar. Yes, sir. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers were off this past weekend. Winnipeg Jets played their first preseason game last night. It did not go particularly well on the scoreboard, but it is just preseason. It is just preseason, of course, Brett. Derek Taylor is getting prepped for Friday night's third and final meeting of the season between the Blue Bombers and Saskatchewan Rough Riders this week. We catch up to DT now. Good morning, DT. Good morning, gentlemen. You don't wait in line for stuff anymore. You're you're too big a celebrity, but uh, did you ever wait in a lineup <laughs> for a concert or similar along the, along the way? God, I I try to I'm trying to pull anything comparative to that because uh, my my concerts tended to be I think I've seen the Nylons in concert like five times and there was a, a strong demand for those ones as there would be say a Nirvana show back in the day when it came to our town so no I've I've gotten away unscathed I think fortunately well come on silhouettes on the shade that that was a that was a big hit back in the day. Here, here's one for you though. Uh, when uh, went to London in uh, gosh March and April of this year, and we went to see uh, wanted to see a soccer match. Went to an England friendly. They played Ivory Coast, and when you left Wembley Stadium, basically the whole it's about a kilometer long road that essentially you know walkway that essentially sends you back to the train station. It was jammed with people, so we moved you know 20 feet at a time for about an hour just to try to get to the train. Uh, so that was, it's much better before the event than after the event. After the event, waiting in line sucks. I would agree with you. Okay, so there you go. You did have a story. So the Bombers have uh, clinched a playoff berth. That happened a couple of weeks ago. What else went down this weekend, DT? Anybody join them uh, with uh, the little X beside their name in the standings? Well, we had some good news for the Bombers in that BC and Calgary matchup with Calgary winning that one. That takes the, their closest, the Bombers' closest rival, BC, down a peg. 
they're now nine and four, so they can get to now oh, only 14 wins on the season. Uh, that means the Bombers just need two, uh, be it two more wins of their own, two losses of, of BCs, uh, and especially one in that matchup that they play, gosh, the final two weeks of the season, final three weeks of the season, essentially, where they play twice uh, would be good news for them. Uh, other than that, man, uh, the Argos are getting real close because that East division is just terrible. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of shaking out the way we thought it would be, right? It's going to be Winnipeg. It's going to be BC and Calgary. And then the rest can kind of figure it out for themselves. Now, it was also week three of the NFL season. We could discuss several games, but the story jumping out for us took place in Miami between the Bills and the Dolphins. It wasn't the crazy ending the punt into the backside of a Dolphins blocker, or the fact that uh, the Bills ran out of time to attempt a game-winning field goal. It's the fact that the Dolphins' starting quarterback was allowed back into the game after a visit to concussion protocol. Yeah, to a tongue of Iloa, the starting quarterback, it, he, he got hit, and it was very clear. One of those ones where the guy gets hit and his head whips into the ground, and he got up and he was quite wobbly and then he started to take a walk and then his legs gave out on him. So his teammates, you know, stood him up and, and helped him. Uh, he went for, and I'm going to put this all in air quotes as I say it, concussion protocol. And they decided that he was okay to return. And at the end of the game, they were selling it uh, to a set it. And then his coach said it, oh, it was a back injury that, that kept him out. So when he came back to the game, it was his back, so it was fine. But it, it's just one of those ones that's it's very obvious that if your head whips into the ground and you can't be you can't keep your own balance, what are we doing here? It's a concussion. It's and we need, maybe we need to stop saying concussion. Uh, there was a point where I just started saying it's a brain injury, so that we understand this is very serious. This was fine thirty years ago, totally fine. It was toughness. Now it's it's just so wrong, and the NFLPA wants an investigation into how the, how he gets back into the game, how Tua gets back into the game. It just it looks so bad for the NFL. I mean, for us compared to the CFL, where twice this year they've pulled a quarterback from the game at a critical junction of the game. One was Kalaros early on in the season. One was Montreal's Trevor Harris. It looks so bad going right now that that the NFL is. You know, let's put this on the Miami Dolphins, that the Miami Dolphins put their quarterback in after what was obviously a brain injury. Yeah, and it looks as though the NFLPA is going to ask for an investigation as to, to what happened and how it went down. And, and Derek, uh, thank you. I, I was applauding in the background because we need to start calling concussions what they are, uh, brain injury. And, you know, Tua seems to be towing the line here. The Dolphins, I saw the Dolphins head coach talking, and, and he's trying to sell this. It was a back injury story. I guess we'll get to the bottom of it. I'm not prepared to give the Dolphins the benefit of the doubt right now because we know far too often the rules have been bent and broken in order to get a key member mm. of a team back out on the field and expeditiously. Well, and, and that's one of the things. And you'd expect nothing different. I mean, from, from Tua, the quarterback, you expect these guys are competitive. They want to play, and they go, well, you know, it's only it's only blank, but then I'll be fine. Uh, when you think of the horror stories from brain injuries that we've seen in the, in the, in the NFL, at some point we need to – everybody needs to get on the train of it's, it's, not just a, it's not just a concussion. It's not just a knock. And you, because you feel fine now doesn't mean you'll be fine. I think anybody connected to football – 
at just about any level uh, has a story of someone they know whose life was just dramatically altered by a concussion. So the NFL, I mean, needs to, if they find some sort of wrongdoing, needs to come down super hard on this because it's, it's such a bad look when the, the guy couldn't walk right on his own. And that should be instantly, you're done for the day. I don't care what happens. Uh, think about the one for the Bombers, right? Kolaris in that game against Ottawa scrambles and he gets hit going down, you know, takes an extra second to get a breather, gets up and, and, you know, walks under his own power. And then is like, what do you mean? I'm coming out of the game. This wasn't collapsing to the ground, essentially, because his legs no longer fired because messages from his brain weren't getting around. It was, it's just so bad. And if so if you want to prove you're taking it seriously, uh, you need to get to the bottom of this. And, and I don't know what you do with, uh, doctors can't be independent because someone's got to pay them. They're always going to work for the team, but they've got to believe they're, they're independent. It's, it's a real problem, but the NFL needs to, needs to do it the right way. And you point out correctly, Tua is obviously going to say anything that he can in order to get back in the game, the nature of being an NFL quarterback or a, a professional athlete or a high level athlete of any type is that you want to complete your task. You want to get back into the game and finish what you started. However, uh, when you're in a state like that, if you've got a brain injury or dealing with with the beginnings of one, uh, you're not likely to be thinking straight in the first place. Well, and there's a real good point as well. Are you the best you know, best decision maker for your own health at that point, right? So, yeah, it, it seems it seems odd because, you know, you would do it with other things. Oh, I think my shoulder's okay. I can go back in. I think my knee, okay, just put a brace on it and I'll go back in there because that's the stuff of legend in all of sports, right? Oh, Bobby Bond has a broken foot and he went out and played. And Willis Reed in 1970 with a broken foot. Just do up my shoe tighter. Uh, Ronnie Lott, the former uh, 49ers safety, cut off a part of his finger because he didn't want to miss games. There's just the, the, It's the stuff of legend, right? These guys are, are heroes and warriors and stuff. But we just – brain injuries aren't, aren't the same because uh, all pro Hall of Fame players, you know, suffer just debilitating mental illnesses later in their life because of brain problems. And now there are so many other steps being taken to protect these guys. They, they do to some degree need to be protected from themselves. Derek Taylor joining us live on 680 CJOB coach show tonight. Coach show at seven to eight with Mike O'Shea, your questions and, and any uh, texts you want to send us. Uh, gosh, the riders two wins against the riders. Can they sweep them again? For her second straight season, how great would that be, Greg? Ah, <laughs> uh, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. <laughs> it would be splendid. <laughs> Thanks, Derek. Appreciate it, sir. Thanks, Thanks guys. And uh, indeed, Bombers back at it. They had a week to sit to, to ruminate on that loss heading into the bye week. I expect they'll be fired up on Friday as they get ready to steamroll Saskatchewan. Yeah, and I suspect, uh, look at the weather forecast, looking pretty awesome for the last day of September. Truth and Reconciliation Day as well. The Bombers will be uh, honoring uh, that occasion with uh, their special helmets and the orange jerseys and the warm-up. Lots of reasons to head out to IG Field and see the Blue Bombers get one step closer to locking up first place in the West. NASA getting ready for the world's first mission in planetary defense, and it's inviting the public to watch as one of its spacecrafts attempts to deflect an asteroid. Mike Rolay of Global News helps set it up for us. 
If you gaze towards space long enough, you're bound to see a shooting star. And as people say, make a wish. Three, two, one. Well, NASA's latest launch is less about the things we wish upon and more about anything we wish will avoid Earth altogether. But if there's anything that's slightly larger, so anything bigger than 30 meters in size, it could cause some damage depending on where it impacts. Anything that's really, really big, bigger than 140 meters in size, so just like a small football stadium, it could be devastating for life on Earth. So that was the voice of Sarah Missouri of Toronto Metropolitan University with some cause for pause. The DART spacecraft, short for Double Asteroid Redirection Test, lifted off from the Vandenberg Space Force Base atop a SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket last November in a $330 million U.S. dollar project. To talk about what is next, we are joined now by our good friend Scott Young Manager, Science, Communications, and Visitor Experiences at the Manitoba Museum. Scott, good morning. Good morning, guys. How's it going? Uh, it's going pretty well. Uh, so, uh, A, when is this going to happen, and how is DART go- going to do what NASA has planned for it to do? Well, the, the big moment is at 6.14 p.m. Winnipeg time. We're going to be streaming live through the Manitoba Museum's uh, social media channels to cover the to cover the thing because they sent along a selfie cam. There's a little satellite that is following the main satellite that is going to send back pretty much live pictures of everything that's going on. So that's pretty cool. Um, And basically the idea is, you know, asteroids can be a threat to Earth. We're going to have to learn eventually to, you know, make sure they don't hit us. And one, one possibility is by hitting it with a spacecraft, that is going fast enough that will slightly change the orbit. Now, this isn't like Bruce Willis where, you know, just in the nick of time, um, they go up and they blow up the asteroid and, and, and save the planet. This is, you know, if you give it a little bit of a nudge way far away from us, by the time it gets to us, that little nudge has built up over time and had, you know, changes a, a hit into a miss. So this spacecraft is about the size of a washing machine, and it's going to smash into the uh, asteroid at 24,000 kilometers an hour, and that will be um, enough to change this asteroid's um, trajectory just a little bit. Now, you might think, well, what if they knock it into the wrong orbit, and what if they knock it into a a place that's going to threaten us? Well, this is actually a double asteroid. So you've got the big one, which we're not touching, and then we've got a tiny little moon around this asteroid which is called dimorphous, and that's what we're hitting. And so the worst that can happen is that the moon will, you know, spiral in and hit the main asteroid, but the main asteroid is not going to change its, its course at all. So this, this, this literally can't really go wrong, which is, which is good, because you really don't want to mess around with, you know, asteroids and, and, and move them into a, a threatening course. Why aren't we going after the big one? Well, if we hit the big one, there's two things. First of all, you need a bigger spacecraft to notice um, uh, a, a difference. You know, the bigger the asteroid is, the harder it is to deflect. And the second thing is we can actually watch the moon go around the main asteroid from Earth. It, it, it goes in the same plane as us. So basically, um, the asteroids eclipse each other every so often. And the timing of that eclipse will basically tell us what happened to the orbit of the moon. If we were watching... Uh, just a single asteroid, or, or if we were watching the big one, it would be really hard to measure the small um, deflection that this spacecraft can do. So it is just kind of a test. 
it certainly isn't the kind of thing that, like I say, would, would uh, you know, save us at the last moment. But this is the first time we're actually doing this, and I think it's going to be really cool to watch because we've got that selfie cam to, uh, to watch the spacecraft go in and blow up. How long will it take for those pictures to get back to us? Like, what, what's the differential? You know, it's actually relatively close to the Earth, so we're not talking about uh, like a big delay. It's it's you know on the order of less than a minute, and uh, and the, the times that NASA has released is basically the uh, the Earth uh, the Earth time, the time that the images get here. So we'll be able to watch basically live. Uh, we start at five o'clock, and then at six fourteen is when impact happens. We should have pictures back from the little uh, selfie cam uh, soon thereafter. So obviously, Scott, uh, you know, what we, what most of us, the average folk know about asteroids comes from things like movies, like Armageddon. You know, yep. what, what would, in the event that there was a giant thing like that coming our way, is, uh, would, would, are we even close to being prepared for something like that? Because I imagine we're not going to send up a team of uh, oil rig drillers to try to yeah. blow this thing up from the inside out. Yeah, if only. Yeah, no. Well, right now, um, if something really big was on the way, I think that would probably spur a whole bunch of uh, really focused development. I mean, you, you've got a bunch of um, smart folks at NASA and at the Canadian Space Agency and at companies like SpaceX. I think we could probably pull something together fairly quickly, but it's always better to be prepared. And so um, that's why we're, tr- we're trying this, this sort of small test. Now, things hit the Earth all the time. It's not a big deal. Like, every day, there's something, you know, fairly sizable that hits the Earth, and it burns up, and, and our atmosphere protects us from a huge amount of material. There was one back um, over Russia about, uh, I don't know, eight or nine years ago that made it down into the atmosphere and exploded, and, and uh, it blew up a bunch of windows, and people got hit by flying glass and stuff like that. That was, that was the most significant event recently, and I think that just sort of reminded folks, oh, yeah, you know, there's stuff out there, so let's, uh, let's get as prepared as we can. And this test will basically, even if we do have to do the Bruce Willis uh, approach, this test will tell us a lot about what's required to, uh, to move stuff around. Yeah, well, this is all a reminder of how, A, insignificant we are, B, <laughs> our place in the space-time continuum, and uh, C, the fact that we can be proactive sometimes and think about what might happen if. So uh, lots of things to ponder here, Scott. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. There's a lot of com- countries working together on this, and, you know, when it comes down to d- planetary defense, things like borders and political boundaries don't mean as much. That's a pretty good reminder for today. All right, 6.14 p.m., you say, where do we watch it? You can watch it at uh, the Manitoba Museum's Facebook and YouTube channels uh, online. All right. Scott Young joining us live on 680 CJOB. Always a pleasure, Scott. Thank you. Always fun, guys. Bye. Manager, Science Communications and Visitor Experiences at the Manitoba Museum. Again, 6.14 p.m. this evening. We are asking you at 204-780-6868, what have you waited in line for? How long did you wait in line? Did something weird happen while you waited in said line? What's the dumbest thing you've ever waited in line for? Tell us a story for a chance to win the bomber tickets. I believe we have our winner selected, but we do have a couple of runners up. Like, this is some awkward, uh, but I guess out of born out of necessity, problem solving here. And this listener says, worst lineup Grey Cup 2019 in Calgary, full house and only porta potties. The lineups were so long, all the guys in line agreed to double up. Like one guy would use the 
the literal urinal and the oh. other would use the toilet in these porta potties. Still missed the entire halftime show of Keith Urban. Uh, yeah, I missed uh, Keith Urban also. I heard it was really good. Were you there? Yes. Oh, yeah, that's course, right. Yes. Bombers uh, defeating uh, Hamilton to break uh, the streak. Uh, uh, yeah, it was a great, uh, great day. Okay. And then uh, Kathy also with, uh, with an, a story about having to, you know, having to take care of some immediate business. I guess that's one of the larger concerns when you're waiting in a long lineup for a long time. About 15 years ago, Kathy says, I was waiting in line outside of the Pyramid Cabaret with friends. A friend of ours was having a CD release party and it was a full house. After 20 minutes of waiting outside, my pea-sized bladder was reaching maximum volume and we had to leave the line to find a public washroom. Like an oasis in the middle of a desert, there was Club 200. Not only did I get sweet relief, we had a few drinks to warm up and we got to help the staff prep for their upcoming New Year's Eve party by cutting out decorations. We eventually made it back to the pyramid, but it was packed and a little too loud. Our pit stop at Club 200 was definitely the highlight of the night. And for geography, in case you're unfamiliar, pyramid, that's just off of Fort uh, besides St. Mary. And Club 200 is one block over on Gary. Just uh, Jason. So it's a, basically they, they walked around the corner and found Club 200. Sweet relief. So that's great. And yeah, and also, yeah, they, the surprise stops tend to be the best parts of the night. Your unplanned events and get-togethers, yeah, uh, ultimately end up being the best time. I agree. We went with Carla for the win. Carla says, on Christmas Day 2005, I was skimming through the Boxing Day flyers and there was a flat screen TV for only $1,000 at Visions Electronics on Pemina. Well, I had to have it. I had to have it. Didn't matter that I was eight months pregnant. I was prepared to camp out. I said goodbye to my grandparents, my aunts, my uncles, and I raced home to grab my winter gear and lawn chair. By 6 p.m., I had my spot in the lineup in the parking lot, and a couple hours later, someone brought us all coffee, which I enjoyed, forgetting that I would have to use the bathroom. However, despite my full bladder, frozen toes, and sore back, again, eight months pregnant, and sitting in a lawn chair all night, I stuck it out. I didn't move, and I got my TV. I always tell my son, now 16, that he started bargain hunting young. <laughs> and I went on to ask uh, Carla, what what kind of TV was it? And she says, I can't remember. We got rid of it a while ago. <laughs> now we've got one that's bigger than our couch. I wonder how big that new one is. But yeah, $1,000 for a flat screen TV, and now you can get them for 250 300 bucks, depending on the <laughs> on the size. It's incredible how those prices change. But good on you, Carla. I was telling Brett in the break when we were deliberating over who would win this, I'm at that age now where, oh, man, I got I to gotta plan my pit stops appropriately and the timing and the consumption of liquids because uh, otherwise, well, let's put it this way. Not only is the desert, the Mojave Desert, short on water, it's short on bathrooms as well. I'd learned the hard way uh, during my trip this summer, Brett. <laughs> Rocking back and forth. I gotta get tears streaming down my face. I gotta get civilization sound. 